You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here. And today's podcast is an interview with Nathan Adams of Red Tea Homes. He's the CEO and founder, and his story does not begin at Red Tea, but we're going to talk about how he got into real estate investing and began his career out here, how that transitioned into Red Tea, which is a lot of development, and now they're going to be putting into place homes two, three, four, five, six, seven, and I think eight, and eight. Um, nationwide for Lead Zero. So we're going to really talk about how he's grown, how he's developed, but also dive into Lead Zero because I have a general understanding and I'm very excited about it. Nathan, glad to have you here, man. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's going to be fun. Yes. So I know your career began in, well, I think you said 2003, right? Gotcha. Re- rewind it and tell us wh- where where you started. Yeah, I would say 2003 is fair. Okay. So um, I think I was 27 at the time. I didn't even know that I could buy a home. Didn't know that credit was good enough. Didn't think I had enough down payment, but I had a buddy that was a mortgage broker. So he starts to talk me into it. He's like, you don't have to put 20% down. You can get away with 5% down. You could get gift money from family. So he's pulling credit. We're checking everything out. He's like, you can buy a house. So I bought my first house in Southern California. Um, beat to hell, 900 square foot townhome. Uh, I was a mousetrap in the corner of the kitchen. It was not pretty. Um, so... I end up buying this thing and my very first night sleeping there, 27 years old. I don't know what a panic attack is other than the definition of it, but I'm laying in bed. I paid $242,000 for this thing in 2003. My parents just bought a brand new home in Phoenix with a pool three times the size of my house for 210. They're en route to see me and I'm laying in bed going, oh my God, what did I do? They're going to think I'm so stupid. Why did, they know did you I do the this? Home? No, they knew I bought it. Okay. They, they were coming to see it. They were coming to spend the weekend. And I'm laying there going, I spent $32,000 more than they did for a home a third the size that's in rough shape. And they bought a brand new house with a pool in Phoenix. So I experienced my first ever panic attack that night. <laughs> How interesting. Yeah. So I ended up, um, it's probably somewhere around eight or nine months after I bought it. Market's hot at the time. So I'm getting the postcards in the mail. Your house is worth this. So after seeing seven, eight, nine of them, I called my agent and I said, hey, the house is worth like $100,000 more. I've only owned it for nine months. And he said, yeah, that's probably accurate. And starts asking me what I did to it. I said, I want to sell it. I want to quit my job and travel. So he said, well, why don't you wait till you've owned it for a year? So we ended up listing somewhere around the 11 month mark with intentions to close at a year and a day so that I was into long-term capital gains versus short-term capital gains taxes. So fast forward to when we put it on the market, sorry, I'm losing my voice a little bit. He tells me, he doesn't tell me that I shouldn't be home when showing start. So we list on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday showing start on Saturday. Doorbell rings Saturday morning. I open it up, smile on my face. Hey, what's up? So agent after agent, they all do the right thing. They end up talking to me while their client looks around the house. And by the end of the day, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing in the hospitality industry? I'm doing the math in my head. What are these agents making? They weren't very sharp. So I thought, you know what? I could replace my current income on about six or seven transactions a year. Yep. Like, what the hell am I doing? 
So the day I sold, I went in, resigned from my job, and that was the last hospitality job I ever had. I traveled for six months and landed in Denver and got my start here. Okay. So why, why Denver? Just traveled and... I didn't know it was going to be Denver. So of the six months of travel, my last two weeks were here. My brother had moved here. Uh, the girl I was dating before I went and traveled that I had broke it off with was here. So kind of got back together for a little bit. And in my two weeks, I knew I was getting into real estate and I started meeting person after person. So you may know one of them. Um, I ended up sitting on a plane flight on my way out of Denver uh, next to an attorney named Steve, who was Rob Swanson's attorney. I don't know if you know that name or not, mm -hmm. but Rob was really heavy in the game back then. So I got connected there and I started looking around and in Southern California, a beat up house was three or $400,000 here could buy stuff for like 80 to 100 at the time. So I thought, well, what money I have left from the sale of my house, I'm going to be able to get a lot more done here. I know people here. So next thing I knew, I was in Denver. I was working for somebody that was coming at it from the investment angle and went and got my license, went out on my own, but focused on investments. So helping people buy rentals, do fix and flips, things of that nature. And you were doing, you were, you were a broker, right? Uh, I got my brokerage license within a year of moving here. Okay. And then it sounds like from what I know about your stories, <laughs> that's how you got into real estate. I think probably learn, made some money. And then, I mean, how'd that grow from you being a broker, um, into red tea? Cause I mean, that's quite the transition as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty hefty transition. Right, so for me, um, when I first got my brokerage license, I didn't have that many clients. So I thought, you know, this is, this is money that's risk-free. Um, so I'd go to every social event I could go to. I'm playing in kickball leagues. I'm playing in volleyball leagues. I'm going to every party I'm ever invited to just to talk to people and tell them, and um, tell them I'm in real estate. So that allowed me to start to get clients. Um, but I was, I was bored in my free time. So I started to look at bank-owned properties and short sales, and I did one flip and it went well. And I thought, wow, maybe I'll do two next time. And it was a doubling effect. I did one, I did two, they went well. Before I knew it, I had a team of four or five people. I was doing 32 fix and flips at a time. Um, like active projects? Like yeah, active line? projects. Oh, wow. And I found myself just like days driving all over town. I'd have stuff in Aurora, stuff in Lakewood. What, um, what year was this approximately? That would have been like 2008, 9, 10. Okay. Uh, and then as we got into 2010, the projects had to get more complicated because I couldn't find like a 1200 square foot, three bed, two bath that I had to come in and do paint and cabinets and countertops and appliances. So now I'm putting additions on and doing pop tops. And at the time, probably, probably 2010, all the contractors I was working with were saying the same thing. If you would just tear it down and let us start over, it would be so much easier. So after hearing this a couple of times, I thought, you know what, let me give it a go. So I lived in a house on a park called Halak Park in Sloan's Lake. Okay. Sloan's Lake in 2010 was not what it is today. It was at the very beginning stages. So I had beat up houses on either side of me owned by the same person. Reached out to them, was able to buy them both. So I ended up building a duplex on either side of my primary residence. And so you, you, you owned your primary in between these two lots? In between the okay. two. So, I mean, how easy to manage. Yeah. Look out the window and, okay, there's guys here who are working today. We're good to go. Um, but that felt amazing because when I was doing fix and flips, things started to get 
hectic in terms of like the agents wanted to know, did you test for lead-based paint, asbestos, all of these things that when I first started doing them, I just didn't even think about. And when you were doing this, were you kind of, were you still being an active broker or, or were you? Yep. Okay. So you're still doing deals or just doing yep. your own so deals? If it, well, doing my own deals, doing deals for other people. Okay. I got hired by a hedge fund who wanted to do fix and flips. They had me find them, manage the renovation and sell them. So um, all told, I probably did close to 250 fix and flips and somewhere between 180 and 200 of those were on me. Wow. And then I managed another 50, 60, 70 for other people. I, I am, I just have this sense of that, that must have been like, I mean, amazing, but also just kind of pure chaos. But like, that it was, was chaos. Yeah. yeah. It was chaos. So, like, when I'm talking about, I did them on either side of my primary residence, all kinds of light bulbs went off. I didn't have to worry about lead based paint because they were brand new. Uh, we took the asbestos out before we demoed. So, there was no worry about that. I never had to worry, well, what's behind the walls that I didn't touch? Is yeah. there any faulty wiring? Is there leaking plumbing? Because we built everything brand new. And then I had four, all within 100 feet of one another. Normally, if I have four, just to visit all four, I might be in the car for two hours. Yeah. Driving around, going from property to property. So they were easier to manage. So these you could walk yeah. to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could probably jump out my window and land on one of them. Um but I was making, you know, about three X per unit building new versus doing remodels. So more, more. What was bulbs. your velocity though? Cause I mean, fix and flips are generally, I, I'm just curious, like what was your velocity? Cause I mean, development takes a lot more than a fix and flip, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it takes more, um, but you just grow, you grow your team, right? You have an architect, a civil engineer, structural engineer. They do a lot of that excuse me, a lot of that front end work. Yeah. And then as a developer, you're like the glue that holds everything together. So you got to find a good architect. They usually find a good structural engineer and a civil engineer. Um, you got to find a, a good lender, somebody that you enjoy working with, find a GC and then just manage that process. And then I had a broker's license. I just sell the the units when complete on my own. So I did uh, one fix of one fix and flip like six or seven years ago as I got into real estate, made a couple of bucks, hated it, and realized I don't want to do that business. Yeah. And a big part of that was just realized that I was like, man, to scale a fix and flip business is really hard. It is. Geographic location, as you said, every property is different. Um, and I, you know, I, I know very little about development. I've never done one. Um, is development easier to scale compared to flipping or are they just too, too separate to compare? It's, it's easier. Here's why. Okay. Um, I've got a parcel of land under contract right now that we're going through the process of getting permits. We'll build 25 homes. That's on one lot. Imagine how far you have to reach to get 25 fix and flips right now. There's no chance in hell they're on the same block. No. There's no chance in hell they're probably even in the same municipality. Yeah. If I needed to go find 25 fix and flips right now and my life depends on it, I might be in Firestone, Castle Rock, both reaches the C470. I'm going to be all over the city. So I've got 25, one GC, manage it all on, on one spot, one location. So it's way easier to scale building new than it is fixing place. I guess, I mean, you probably have a couple like floor plans or I don't know what the right word is or because or, every, every fix and flip is unique no matter what. Yeah. But with a new development, I'm assuming there's got to be some recipe there, right? Or is there some well, templates? Boy, would housing be more affordable if we could repeat things 
over and over again. And you see that in Highlands Ranch. Um, but we do mostly infill development. Okay. So if I design a house and we perfect that thing and we build it a couple of times in Denver County, and then I go try and take it over to Lakewood and Jefferson County, I'm under a whole different oh, zoning yeah. code. Windows might have to be bigger. Maybe they don't allow a, a garage in the front or they don't have an alley in the back. So it changes from municipality to municipality. It would be nice if in the state of Colorado, we all operated under the same zoning code so that whatever we do and perfect in Denver, we could use in Arvada, we could use in Lakewood, we could use in Aurora. But even in Denver, the zoning code varies from site to site. There's probably 25 or 30 different zoning codes in total. By the time you take the first letter, the middle two letters and the number at the end of it, it's so hard to repeat things, but I could make housing more affordable if I could. So it sounds like, because I'm always interested in like the, the business side, I guess I'm, I'm very fascinated. It sounds like a lot of the scale potential comes from like, hey, if you do, you know, a bunch of houses or townhomes on the same lot, is that, that's the the real scale building development that's versus, the, oh, okay. That's the real scale. So a lot of our projects, looking back six, seven, eight years, we have four unit, 12 unit, 16 unit. Now we've got projects, we've got a 53, a 54, a 72. So when you have 72 units, I mean, it's the same number of units as seven, 10, 11 unit projects, uh, but it's all in one location. That makes sense. All right. So at what point did uh, did Red Tea, when when did you start that? Because I'm very curious about like, uh, you, you've been learning and growing here. It sounds like you were figuring out what you're good at, what you enjoy, and also seeing opportunities in the marketplace. <laughs> I'm assuming Red Tea is kind of the, the genesis of all that. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Um it's kind of a funny story because I'm not very creative. So I was at a company called Sterling Real Estate Group. That's where I went first. Um, and I was, I got the average age there when I started, I think I was 20, 28. The average age there had to be over 50. Uh, they were a lot of brokers that have been in the market for a long time. And I got in there, I started doing business. I get to the point where I was going to bed at like 11 o'clock at night and waking up at five in the morning just to keep up with all of the work. So I thought, you know what? I've got to hire an assistant. So I hire an assistant. A couple of days after she starts, a managing broker shows up at my office and he said, you have a team now. You need to have a team name. Well, they're based in Lakewood and I'm not very creative. So I said, well, we do most of our business in Denver. So we'll be real estate Denver team. So live through that. A couple more years at Sterling. We go out on our own. We're called real estate Denver team. It's a God awful name for a brokerage. Just no marketing behind that whatsoever. So we hired a company we go through a process and you know test out all these different names and logos we ended up just taking the first letter so the r in real real yeah the e in estate and we get to red t homes and we design i love this, it this crooked looking t and now we're you know somewhat well known around town and people yeah. see our signs and they're they're memorable but our first name was real estate denver team which is a terrible name for brokerage um to take like a time out to give people like, cause I mean, obviously you, you have built a, you know, a great career and you, you know, launched a business and a lot of people don't replicate that type of success. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing you didn't, you picked a name, you did it, it worked. And the day, the name of your company, the logo of your company is not going to dictate if it's profitable or successful. Like, nope, you did it. You started, you pivoted. Oh, whatever. This is not a great name now. Um, 
But that's a really good point for people to show because people spend, you know, months on a name. I'm like, who gives a damn about the name? Go make a sale. That's what matters. And like yes. the customer cares about, I don't care what you call me. Just, are you making my life better? Where's my value? Yeah. And so that's just a really good reminder for people out there wanting to get into business. Yeah. The spend very little time on yeah. that. Yeah. So that is where Red Tea, I was wondering. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. You're, you're welcome. So I think Red Tea, was it what, uh, 2014 it got launched? Yeah, I think so. I mean... So like if you went to the Colorado Secretary of State, I think it probably is 2014. It was that long before. So I would say I've been in business in Denver since 2005. Mm -hmm. So it just was. That's when that branding came out of that name. Yeah, but we had already started to grow a company by that point. I mean, gosh, when we said, hey, we're called Red Tea Homes, we were probably... 10, 12 people by that point. Oh, okay. So yeah. you were very So we were like we were well on our way. Okay. Yeah. So talk to me about the the evolution of like Red Tea. Cause I mean, at, at that time when you officially launched it, like what size projects were you developing? Oh gosh. So 2014, small, smaller townhome projects. Okay. Just some like single family, some duplex. Just all infill stuff, couple Yeah, primarily okay. infill. All right. All infill, really. And then how did you get into lead and all of this? Like, and, and, you know, talk about and also explain what the program is. Cause I know that's something you're very focused on and passionate about. Yeah. So how we got to lead, um, let me give you a longer version of the story. Yeah, please do. So culture is really important at our company. Uh, we apply every year for best places to work. We have for probably five years now, uh, Denver business journal rates that, uh, we now, as of, I think it's last year, also apply to Inc. 500. So we're rated nationally versus just locally. So with culture being very important, one of the things that you really have to do is understand what your employees want. Listen to your employees. When I first started, I thought, oh, it's all about benefits. I'll just give people the most amazing benefit package there is and we'll score really high. So as we got to what I would say, I felt like we had better benefits than almost any other company in town. Like, why isn't our score going up? Well, it wasn't so much about benefits. It was about, do you have a great mission? Mm. Am I fulfilling some higher purpose by coming to work here? Are we solving the world's problems? So a lot of our employees were saying things like, we can build it better. We should be doing this differently. We shouldn't be doing it the same way as everyone else. Well, if you went back early in my career, I don't know that I would have listened to them. I, I mean, maybe I would hear them, but... Yep. Hey, I got this. I know what we're doing. We're going our own way. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2021, maybe even 2020, paying a lot more attention and thinking, okay, let's dig into this. So we spent a lot of 2021 doing the research. And it was January 1 of 2022 that we drew a line in the sand and said, we're not going to buy it, build it, sell it if it's not to a lead gold certification. This is specific to new construction because we don't tell our regular brokers. Hey, you can't sell that house if it's not lead gold. Oh yeah. Well, they probably do many sales then, right? No, they probably wouldn't do any sales because if you take all of the houses out there built in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, they're not lead gold. So what, what is the lead program and what is lead gold? So it's the U S green building council. It's basically a third party review. They have different levels, silver, gold, platinum. And not long ago, they came out with lead zero. Um, you can't, effectively build to a lead zero designation. You actually build to a lead platinum, which is the highest designation. Then after a year of energy bills, 
you can go up, get upgraded from lead platinum to lead zero. If your utility bills fall within whatever parameters or you're running 12 months at net zero. Wow. Okay. That is a real way to test it out. Yeah. So, um, we have a project at the intersection of Dahlia and Mississippi, not terribly far from where we're sitting right now. And we will build seven homes to a lead platinum certification. And then so long as the owners will hand over their energy bills after a year, um, several, if not all of those homes should move to a lead zero classification. And that means they, they're net zero homes. So what is that? So that means your utility bills are zero or how is that? So no gas in the homes run completely off electric solar on the roof. And that solar is generating enough electricity that over the course of a year, they don't need any energy. Wow. At times they'll take energy from the grid. At times they'll give energy back. I mean, if we're snowy and cloudy for a month straight, they're probably taking from the grid. But because we build that house sealed up so tight, they don't need to run much. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. And then like all of our plumbing fixtures will be low flow, even down to the irrigation in the yard. It'll be mostly zero scaped, but anything that does need water uh, will be on like a low flow drip system. Okay. And so the, the move to lead, that was all really driven by listing to your employees. Like what was, so you're hearing they could build it better. And was that just I mean, building materials, higher quality, or that I guess led to more like green energy efficient. Was that the underlying theme? Yeah, really, really build build it green. Okay. You know, build it. What's really cool about building it green is you're taking better care of the environment, the earth, the planet that we live on. Um, we have less waste. Uh, we don't use near as much energy. We don't use near as much water. Um, and then at the same time, it's a healthier home to live in. So along with that lead certification, why is it healthier to live in? Um, main reason there's no gas in the home and there's smart ventilation. So, um, with no gas, uh, you may not know this, but those yellow flex pipes that connect like the gas line to your furnace or the gas line to your stove or dryer, um, they leak and they leak methane Mm. and that's not healthy for you. Yeah. Okay. So living in an all electric home, um, a home that's got ventilation, that's, um, yeah, you said smart ventilation out of the air. What's that? You said smart ventilation. Yeah, so ventilation that will detect um, too much humidity, will detect uh, mold, will it will detect things and pull them out of the air. And then a lot of the materials we're put, putting in, whether it's paint, carpet, cabinetry, flooring, were low to no VOCs, so you yep. don't have all of that off gassing. I mean, you move into a newly built home that was built as inexpensive as possible. Those cabinets are putting harmful gas into the air that you're breathing in. You the get the carpet, new car the smell. Paint. Yeah, the new new car smell isn't so. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's the that's the off gassing. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So oh, okay. Yeah. Less off gassing, uh, no leaking methane from the gas appliances. Uh, it's just a healthier home to live in. So are and you have these homes been sold yet, or you said they're they'll finishing up later this year? We haven't brought we haven't brought them to market yet. Okay. So. Are do you? I'm curious from like just the two things, like the economics and does producing a product like this give you a different buyer pools? Or, or, or do you have people that are very like green and just like, oh my gosh, I want that? Is that like a premium or high demand product for people out there? Yes, yeah, so you had two questions in there. So, yeah, sorry. Um, it's okay. My memory's not great. So if I forget the second one, you have to remind me. Um, so the economics for us to build uh, those homes to a, well, let's go lead gold first. 
to build a 1500 square foot home to a lead gold certification were about another 20 to $25,000 more in materials and labor to get the home to that certification to take it to lead zero. We're now putting solar on every roof and there's more that's going into the house. We're probably closer to $50,000 more per home. Okay. So as we did our research to figure out, you know, do we have a good market for this? The biggest pool of buyers ever is millennials. They care about the environment. They care about the story. They vote with their wallet. Our story is very appealing to them, and most of them are hitting their home buying years. Um, so we do get buyers. A um, couple of projects ago, we had a buyer came, they looked, they said, hey, it's not big enough. We didn't have anything else far enough along. They like begged us, please, now that we know this exists, we want to buy something that's built to a lead gold certification or higher. So after like four or five requests, we said, okay, go drive by this site. Um, if you like what you see, we'll sit down, we'll do the work, we'll get you a price. If you like the price, you can go under contract. So, um, we've had that kind of experience. That's so cool. Yep. Where it's really important to buyers, but there's so product market fit there. Yeah. So I do research every Saturday. I, I look at inventory, I pay close attention to things. I now look at what's marketed lead. Um, how many homes do you think out of the 6,500 that are for sale in the metro area, new construction are built to a lead cert, lead gold certification or higher or a lead certification or higher? Oh, I mean, you're Gabby less than a hundred wide. 11. 11? Available right now. Well, last Saturday, 11 available. That's it. And this is like Denver Metro or? Yep. The 11 wow. county okay. metro area as defined by Denver Metro yep. Association of Realtors. So that's like... Boulder, down to Parker, Castle Rock. I mean, we're covering a, a big area here. So is there an actual like field in the MLS for lead or is you just searching? Okay, yep. I didn't even know that. Yep, there's a field. So um, I have to plug in two things because there's lead and then there's lead for homes. And I don't know how uh, agents will designate. So I just search on both yeah. to make sure I capture everything that's listed there. But that's such a small percentage of the market that most buyers right now don't know that it's available. So until we get a bigger saturation of that in the market, buyers don't necessarily know that they have a choice. So when we get to them and we educate them, the ones that really care are all over it. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's a few people out there listening that are resonating with that uh, with that story. So what? So it's an extra like fifty thousand dollars to build. I'm assuming you can you know mix up Ford and the sales price for the the premium or the desire there. Or um, yes. Okay. Uh, well, not fully proven yet, but. Um, we believe so. Okay. So the one that I just told you about, um, we ended up, the, the buyer really wanted lead. Um, granted, the market was hot. We were forecasting those homes to sell in the low sevens. Um, we looked around, we thought, let's test 775. Um, they ended up closing in the low eights because they had us finish the basement for them as well. And that really set the price there. Next buyer came in, was at 820 with a finished basement. So um, the units that we sell towards the tail end got caught up in the market shifting. So, uh, we've got some units selling a little lower than that now. Okay. But I mean, obviously it shows the interest is there. It does. Um, and, and buyers will pay for it. Yeah. And I'm assuming like, they're probably a, a very, like, not the, just the, the, it's a very, it's a passion thing you're talking about. So that obviously creates a very good buy, buying opportunity for you. Yeah. And as we did our research, we found, um, three places that we thought would appeal to buyers. Um, one, we're building it with the environment in mind, healthier home to live in, uh, well, 
I just hit two by accident. So we're building it with the environment in mind. Um, it's a it's a better product, less waste, less energy, all that good yeah. stuff. So that's one. Um, two would be it's a more uh, it's less costly to run the home. So your energy bills are lower, your water bills are lower. Um, we thought those two would resonate the most. What ended up resonating the most is that it's a healthier home to live in. Really? That indoor air quality plus certificate, no gas, you know, no methane leaking like we talked about earlier. That's what's really appealed to buyers the most. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not surprised that you say it, but it's always fascinating as people, you know, you kind of really learning, hey, what's, the, what's that motivating factor? So like next evolution for us is we're starting to kind of move in the direction of making it a lifestyle brand. So we'll add more things water filtration system. We'll put raised planter beds where people can grow their own vegetables. Um, we'll put a composting machine on the kitchen counter. So you pick your own vegetables out of your own garden. You cut them up, you throw the waste in the composting machine, press a button that generates nutrient dense soil that you go feed that raised planter bed. So we're looking at just doing more and more stuff to promote that healthier home to live in. And when you said, uh, it's interesting you said like, yeah, I think you said lifestyle brand was yeah. the phrase you used. So is that, is that like you, like, are you thinking about branding? Hey, this is a red tea home. And it's more like a red tea lifestyle or more about just the house itself. Like, how do you, how do you do the lifestyle brand on, the, on a home like that? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. We're figuring it out. As okay. we go. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so we call those homes, um, our marketing guys, phenomenal. I uh, call them light homes. So light on the wallet, light on the environment. And it's a good uh, play. yeah, now instead of a lifestyle, a light style. So further, further playing on that. So we haven't launched, launched anything yet. I mean, not changing the green tea or anything. No, not changing the green tea. <laughs> okay. um, we've definitely gotten that a lot. That's, oh, that's yeah. like the low hanging fruit. Yep. Everybody's like, why red tea? You should be green tea now. <laughs> Because the branding makeover is a pain in the butt that won't make a difference. <laughs> yeah, and you know, at some point in the future, I mean, yeah, red tea may fall off. It might just be light homes. Yeah. Um, so are you? Because um, I believe red tea. Like I know you guys do your own development work, and you also help a lot of other people develop as well. Is that kind of like the two main facets to your business? Um, yeah. So I'll give you everything. So yeah, um, acquisitions. Uh, we have architecture in-house, uh, we have a development services team, we have construction, and we have sales and marketing. So we have all of that under one roof. I forgot to mention this earlier, but I think it's important. We were really nervous when we made the decision to say we won't build it, sell it, if it's not a lead gold certification or higher. We had to have that conversation with all of our developer clients. Thankfully, all of them said something like this. We like that. We see it as the way of the future. If you'll help us figure it all out, we'll come with you. We'll do it as well. Oh, wow. So right now we have 493 homes at some stage of planning or construction. Not all us. We've got eight or nine developers in there and they're all following that lead gold certification or higher as well. Oh, that's fact, really cool. We have a developer building a 14 um, unit townhome project, a block north of Sloan's Lake. Um, they're building to a lead platinum certification. So wow. it's, it's fun. Uh, and so all of them are just like, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. And yep. you guys just obviously have the blueprints. You're like, Hey, same concept, but we'll take care of extra details. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And, and really like the, the, there's two big things in there. One is hiring an energy consultant because it's a, it's a complicated thing to adhere to. It's a point-based system. So 
I mean, if you're next to light rail on the bus, you're getting big points being next to public transportation. We've got a site out in Golden next to nothing. So we're having to do more stuff to the house to hit the certification. Um, oh, so it's a cumulative point system. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's one piece. And then the other piece is the mechanical systems, the HVAC. Um, when when I say we spend twenty dollars to $25,000 more per house to get to a LEED Gold certification, a lot of that money is going into the HVAC system. Okay, to have that smart filtration and yep. all that. Yeah, and then it's it's higher efficiency. So your air conditioning, your 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 furnace, your heat pump um, is a much higher efficiency. So it's more costly, and the labor generally is a little more expensive to put that in because um, we're having to do duct blast testing to make sure the ductwork doesn't leak and mm. that it's in a conditioned space. So we're not leaking energy like a, a traditionally built home would. Yeah. That is fascinating. All right. So I imagine there's probably a few people. I mean, some people have brought interest in buying their product as primary residence, um, interested people in doing development or people interested, hey, they, they want to be part of the vision, the culture there. Yep. Do they just go to Red Tea Homes or how can they learn more or get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't mind if you uh, if you put my Oh, yeah. Well, because it's, email red, it's redteahomes.com, right? Or what's the best way to... Because uh, I, I, I mean, yeah. this is... So, you guys are a really cool niche. Yeah, so we're www.redteahomes.com. Um, people laugh when I do this, especially in a situation like this. I'm going to say my cell phone number. I don't mind if somebody calls me or texts me. I can funnel them to sales. Yeah. If they're a developer and they want to talk to somebody on the construction or architecture side, I'll funnel them there. So my cell phone, 720-255-4101. I don't mind if any of your listeners reach out to me. Good. Well, we'll, we'll put in a show notes. So that makes me think of a funny story. You, you know, Charles Roberts of, uh, of Veer Castle. Absolutely. So he was on the, the Bigger Pockets podcast, like their main podcast, like I think four years ago. And, and that's like the biggest podcast around the country. And I think back then they had like 250,000 <laughs> downloads per episode. Yeah. So just a massive amount. And like, oh, Charles, how can people reach you? And he's like, oh, I'll give my cell phone. They're like, oh, you sure you want to do that? He's like, yeah. He had the same response to you. He's like, oh, yeah, just call me, everyone. Yeah. That dude got drowned. Now, I mean, you will not get drowned. We, you know, our, our listenership is much smaller, but uh, he was a brave man and you're a brave man. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So so text you at 2 a.m., right? You can. <laughs> Here's why. I don't take my phone to bed. Yeah. It sits out of reach in the bathroom on silent so I can hear the alarm that wakes me up in the morning. But you could text me at any hour of the day. All right. If I'm awake, I'll reply. If it's in the middle of the night, I'll reply when I get up. Oh, yeah, I get so it'll backfire on you. Here's why. <laughs> I get up at 4.45 in the morning. So you're going to get that return text and hear your phone go off at 4.45 in the morning. <laughs> That's funny. You're going to get woken up, not me. <laughs> so what other, like, I, I want to do a quick shift because I know we're kind of running up past 30 minutes. Uh, you know, we're recording this second or first week of December. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all want to go on the market. Just what's your general attitude towards the market in terms of the landscape, what's going on? If you're uh, feeling bold and give product predictions, man, just kind of, I want to, I would love to hear your perspective. Yeah, gosh. Um, usually I've got a pretty good crystal ball and right now I don't, but I learned this. So, you know, I started in 2005 and things were okay. Five, six, when things started to get bad in 2008, I watched so many brokers that were seasoned and experienced just sit back and complain. Oh, this market's awful. I can't do business. And I just sat there and I thought, you know what? I don't have as much experience, but I can look at the MLS and see every day that properties sell. So no matter what the market is, properties trade hands. Yep. If you're a broker, you just need to figure out what side of the market to be on. Right now, right this very moment, 
probably a little more fun to be on the buyer side of the market. Eight months ago, you don't want to be on the buyer side. You're writing offer after offer in the car every weekend. You want to be on the listing side. So um, business can be done in any market. This market right now is weird. There's a lot of factors that are influencing. You know, are we in a recession? Are we going into a recession? Is inflation coming under control? What's the Fed going to do next? What's happening in Russia and Ukraine? What bit of fear is the media going to spin tomorrow? Um, There's a lot of headwinds, but at the same time, properties are still moving. Yeah. Albeit less of them. Um, I think what's happening right now is we're going through a bit of a, a reset and prices have come down a little bit. Not every neighborhood, but some neighborhoods. Um, rates have really slowed things down. To me, it looks like inflation starting to come under under control. I'm not fully, but it's right direction. Down. Yeah, I mean, look at the CPI numbers that came out today. Oh, I didn't see that. Were they good today? Or? It was phenomenal. Oh. So they expected them to. I think it was either it was come down point one, and it came down point three. So it's a three hundred percent better than expected. Saw the stock market go way up. Um, mortgage rates came down today. Uh, I saw something this morning at five point nine nine. Uh, it seems like right about now, when they start with a five, get a little bit more activity oh, yeah. in the market. When they started with a seven, it's crickets. Has, with this change in the market, like I know development cycle is, you know, what, a couple years. Are, is it changing much in like the development cycle um, or de- development plans with like what you're doing, a lot of your clients are doing? Um, we just have to have a good understanding of what's going to happen in two or three years. But what blows me away You've a lot of developers likely listening to this. It blows me away how many of them are sitting on the sidelines right now. You could probably pick up a better deal than you could six to eight months ago. And you're not delivering it tomorrow or next month, not even next year. To me, the most amazing time to start a development, to go by land, is when things are really awful. Real estate's cyclical. I'm grabbing whatever I can right now when I'm able to, but looking for good deals because the market's a little softer because those aren't going to deliver for two or three years. I think things will be great in two or three years. Yeah, I think next year we'll hit a market that feels normal, not overheated, not too cool, probably have rates between five and 6%. Um, I'll make this prediction. Between five and 6%, pretty normal market. We go under five, that shit crazy. Bidding war, thought twice about cursing there, but it was appropriate. And uh, if we get rates up into the sevens, it's going to slow way down. It's really going to be driven by rate because rate changes the affordability of the home so much. Yeah. I mean, rates going from three to seven and a half percent changed it way more than prices going up or down in that same period of time. Yeah. By a long shot. So that's interesting. It's like I, I, I deal on the rental side of development um, is, is a new frontier to me, but uh, that makes sense for, hey, like we're seeing some great buying opportunities for properties right now. You're seeing the same thing for land development deals, just great opportunities. Has, I don't want to get too much of the weeds in it, but I'm curious, has like financing for buying those deals, development side gotten tougher or just, hey, rates have gone up and you just have to plan accordingly? Yeah, good question. So um, it has gotten a little tougher. If you're a first timer, maybe you've been doing fix and flips and you want to build new, um, it's a little harder because a lot of the lenders, they want to see some experience right now. They want to see a little bit better balance sheet right now. Um, After the last Fed rate hike, which was in, I think it was early November, 
Um, everybody knew 75 basis points. So that was a given, but it was what they said afterwards that freaked a lot of people out. So we had a couple lenders that we work with take a little time out and say, Hey, we're on a, we're on a little break till January or we're on a 60 day break, whatever that might've looked like. So it is a little tougher to get financing right now, but there's still lots of lenders lending. Okay. Um, and look, the banks were always the best rates, right? I mean, a bank rate on a development deal right now, seven, seven and a half, maybe 8%. There's debt funds out there, hard money lenders out there lending at nine to 11%. They'll give you better leverage. Um, usually the delta between the rates was so great that you gravitated towards putting a little more equity down and getting that bank loan. And not right now. So you're actually seeing a, a bigger shift. Hey, you get higher leverage, but higher rates on the, the hard money, direct money side. That's yeah. the better play right now. Uh, I believe so. Yes. Oh, yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, Nathan, thank you so much. I know we're running a few minutes over, but like I could talk to you for like two hours with you. So we'll, we'll have you back and, uh, for more stuff. Cause this was fun. Um, and so one thing I want to leave off here because I appreciate you leaving your cell phone on here, but you and I actually connected a, a little over a year ago at a real estate event. We sat on the same panel and, uh, I can't remember the exact context, but we're talking about how to go out there. I think find a mentor or go out there and network. And we're out there, hey, go out there and you want to find more successful people. Like, hey, find people that have done what you want to do and, you know, replicate it. Yeah. And I think the exact words you said on you said on stage were, don't say, can I please pick your brain? <laughs> um, and I, because, you know, that and I don't want that to happen because you were so gracious in your cell phone. Great. If you're interested in like, you know, learning about Red Tea or doing this stuff, aside from being a client with Red Tea, don't reach out to Nathan. I want to pick your brain because that provides zero value to Nathan and his and his team. Um, definitely get to know him, but yeah. bring some value too because Nathan's time is worth more than a cup of coffee. Yeah, at least by a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's usually when somebody leads with, "Hey, can I pick your brain?" It's the same questions. Yeah. How did you get started? What do you think I should do? What's the best way to get into this? Can you introduce me to people? And it's like, okay. He just gave you as much of the playbook as what you asked for. You're like, hey, thanks. I got that $30 lunch and you're gone. I don't hear from you again. You do that a couple of times, you get a little bit jaded. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I have a, a meeting with somebody and, and there's value going back and forth. That feels really good. Yeah. It's, it's just it's good networking. Yeah. yeah. So, well, Nathan, I appreciate your time so much. Um, this podcast has been months in the making and uh, I'm very glad we got in the books now. So, Thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. You bet. It was fun. 